Pump up the volume on your parenting with Parent Pump Radio. Tune into something different that makes a difference. At Parent Pump Radio, instead of a ripple, we choose to create a splash. Get energized, get inspired, and get informed with how to parent in the new millennium. With your host and parent coach super guide, Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. Hi, this is Jacqueline T.D. Huynh, and welcome to Parent Pump Radio. Our show is all about dynamic family leadership, becoming financially free, and leaving a profound legacy for our children. I came out with my second book on Amazon called True Legacy Wealth, Creating Generational Wealth Through Real Estate Investing. So join our legacy family by going to truelegacywealth.com. We have a turnkey real estate investing program. All of our inventory are between fifty and one hundred and fifty thousand, and it cash flows now. So we will find the properties, renovate it, and manage it for you. All you have to do is purchase and prosper. You can email me at info at integrative minds with an s dot com to schedule a strategy session. The information for all of my books and Contact information will be in the show notes. Our show is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and YouTube. Now, on to our show. We have an amazing guest today. I have been speaking to him offline at least twice, and I could probably talk to him so much more. It is a two-part series about helping reduce our children's pain and anxiety. So please tune in next week for our second part where we're going to talk about solution and how to do this. So our guest is a retired board-certified orthopedic surgeon. A significant part of his practice was devoted to performing surgery on patients who had undergone multiple prior spine surgeries. He has been performing complex spinal surgeries since 1986. He's currently focusing his efforts on bringing effective medical treatment for chronic mental and physical pain into mainstream medicine. He's creating a business structure, Virtus. Inc. that also will present these concepts to the public. His book, which you need to get, called Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain, evolved from his own experience escaping from chronic pain. His website, backincontrol.com, is the action plan for direct your own care project. Patients with surgical problems have often experienced resolution of their pain without any operation. So ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to Dr. David Hanscom. Hi, Dr. David. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So glad you're here. And I want to share all of what you have found. Our children are going through a lot of anxiety and pain. And I think it, you know, also us parents too. So why is it so critical to understand that anxiety is the essence of the automatic survival response? I think that the problem medicine has had, including myself, is that we look at anxiety as a psychological issue. But it's really just a symptom. When you feel anxious, your body's full of stress chemicals and you feel alert, wired, and anxious. For instance, if your body's full of oxytocin, the love drug, dopamine, the reward drug, serotonin, and the GABA drugs, what word would you use to describe that state, state of your body's chemistry? Relax. But if you're full of adrenaline, cortisol, and histamines, what word would you use stress. to describe stress and anxious? You feel anxious. Yeah. So it turns out anxious is just a symptom. It's just a feeling. When you feel anxious, your body's full of stress chemicals. Now, the sequence that happens that creates that response is that if you have a every living creature, if they're threatened with a physical threat, the body will secrete stress chemicals, your autonomic nervous system will hop into play, and your body goes in high alert to allow you to escape and survive. 
once you've escaped the threat or solved the threat, the stress chemicals drop down, anxiety disappears. It's a very deep survival feeling. It's extremely unpleasant, as all of us know. It motivates us to avoid the behavior that creates anxiety or the situation that creates anxiety. Same thing with reward, reward chemicals, food, water, procreation, all those things are very strong, powerful, positive sensations. We're motivated towards positive body, body chemistry. We're motivated to stay away from negative sensations. That's how we evolved. The species of creatures that didn't pay attention to those environmental cues basically didn't survive. Humans have a problem. So you have a sequence where you have a physical threat. It just goes into the nervous system. Your body gives a very large chemical response. Every cell in your body is bathed in these stress chemicals. Then you feel anxious. Okay, it's a result. It's not the cause. The reason why that's so critical is that neurochemical survival response has been documented to be at least a million times stronger than the conscious brain. It's a complete mismatch. Just like you wouldn't treat the symptom of relaxation. I mean, you wouldn't treat the disease of relaxation. It's just a symptom. The thing, you can't really treat the disease of anxiety because it's just a symptom. When you feel anxious, it means your body is stress chemicals. Humans have a major problem that I call the curse of consciousness is that it has been shown out of Boston by Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett that thoughts go to the same part of the brain they have the same chemical reaction. And if they're pleasant thoughts, you feel relaxed. If they're unpleasant thoughts, you feel anxious. But humans can't escape their thoughts. You either suffer with them, which we know how to do that. We complain a lot. Or we suppress them, which, which was got, what got me into trouble personally. Or you mask them with different addictions and addictive behaviors and different types of drugs, alcohol, marijuana, whatever, different drugs to help mask that feeling of anxiety. But nonetheless, you can't escape your consciousness. And so every human being is subjected to some level of stress chemicals on an everyday basis. And if you have a very difficult childhood, there's more things in the present that are a threat. In other words, the way animals survive, again, is some person or situation in the past created danger as you know, a cat, a cat has only seen somebody once and, and they'll never get by that person again. So animals are very smart about understanding threats. Humans are the same way. If you're raised in a very difficult, chaotic environment, many things are dangerous. When you come into the current world, if you now have more situations that, that tie to the past, then anytime you're anxious, I mean something in the present kicked a circuit in from the past. Anytime you're anxious, you're in the past. Because in the past, you learned that this, situ this situation was dangerous. Now, it may or may not be rational. That's not really the point. The bottom line is your body as a child was programmed to be hyper alert, hyper vigilant to stay safe. There's a study called the ACE scores, Adverse Childhood Experiences. And what that is, it's done out of San Diego, but it's really been around for about 50 years. But the best study so far is one out of San Diego. But they just did a checklist of children's environment when they were young. There was physical, emotional, or sexual abuse, parent in prison, parent with substance abuse, a divorce, um, witnessed abuse, et cetera. And they simply gave a score of zero to eight. Only 30% of children had an A score of zero. 36% had a score of three or more. My A score, by the way, was five. And what happens is that if you have a higher A score, your body is more chemically reactive to the environment. That is not psychological. It's how you survive. So neurochemical survival reflex. And I'll say it, I'll say it a couple of times during the show, but it's a million times stronger than the conscious brain. 
it is not subject to psychological interventions. Anytime you become anxious about something in the present that resembles something in the past, I, I like to I don't I don't like the word PTSD because anytime you're anxious, you're in the past, everything is PTSD in a way. At some point it becomes incredibly disruptive where it does become major PTSD. But that's how we survive is that we avoid anxiety and we seek rewards and we just keep, that's how we just, how we move forward. Remember the body's main goal is to survive. It's not designed to have a good time. The only reason we have as much social needs as we do is that humans developed language about 70,000 years ago. The creatures that were social had a much higher chance of surviving. And that's how we developed tribes, developed cooperation, et cetera, because you had a much higher chance of surviving when people bonded together. So what happens is that you have these linkages systems coming from a really bad childhood. You're, you now have a sustained stress chemical response and you get sick. There's a 50% chance, higher chance of heart disease, suicide, depression, eating disorders, obesity. The list is about 25 long of major clinical symptoms that occur starting with an adverse childhood. And then people actually die seven years earlier than people without a high score. Yeah, I've taken the test. I think I got a three on there. Okay, that's enough. It's enough. Like you said, there is a factor in there. So let me ask you a question. If anxiety is simply a sensation generated by elevated levels of stress chemicals, that makes sense to you? Yes. Okay. I'm going to ask this to only just get you think, I'm not trying to be difficult here. How do you get rid of anxiety? How I do it, meditation. Right. So what you're doing, the, the generic answer is you, you're basically decreasing the body's stress chemicals. There's two ways of doing that. One of them is what you just described, which is directly doing it. What meditation does, it calms down everything, relaxes muscles, calms down the brain. You remember, you can't escape your thoughts, but you, you can quiet your thoughts so the sensory input isn't quite as intense. Mindfulness, meditation, exercise, all those things actually decrease the body's stress chemicals. Then you feel more relaxed because you're shifting your body's chemistry. The other way that you decrease the body's stress chemicals, which is actually more important, have you ever heard of this term called neuroplasticity? Yes. Your brain changes every second. Every second, your brain's developing new neurons, new cells, new connections, new glial cells. And what you're doing is that you can't control your thoughts, but you can direct your brain to form whatever direction you want. So what you're doing, you're decreasing the reactivity of the brain through neuroplasticity. Instead of being stress, automatic survival response, which is always chemicals, it's stress, you create a little bit of a space, and then you substitute. What doesn't work is positive thinking. Positive thinking is another way of suppressing negative thinking, but it is positive substitution. And with repetition, as you keep substituting more appropriate response to a quote threat, which could be usually perceived, not necessarily real. By the way, if a threat is perceived or real in your mind, it doesn't matter. Your mind makes it real. Your mind makes it real and, and your whole body responds in kind. And what you're doing, you create, instead of having this stimulus, automatic survival response, you're basically going stimulus, a little bit of a space, then you substitute and have a more appropriate response. So when I say it's not primarily, when I say that anxiety is not subject to psychological interventions, that's not completely true. It's basically psychology or the mental input is really critical, but you can't solve anxiety with psychological means alone. It's part of the solution. But the bottom line is you train your brain to be less reactive. That's actually not primarily psychological, but like for instance, with cognitive behavioral therapy, you're actually changing the thoughts. So the disruptive thoughts become more appropriate thoughts. 
with more appropriate thoughts, you have less of a chemical reaction. But if you want to do talk therapy and try to analyze the problems and why you're anxious, et cetera, et cetera, there's sort of somewhat of a misnomer that the more you understand something about your past, the higher the chance you're going to solve it. The problem is you're reinforcing the activity. You're not solving it. So the two ways of, de- of decreasing anxiety is directly through mindfulness meditation or you're decreasing the reactivity of your brain. I know there are people who are high score on these ACE studies right? and they're very anxious. It seems like they're more angry, more anger. How does, how does anxiety associate with this anger and the ACE study? Well, remember the main thing with anxiety, remember it's a very unpleasant feeling. It compels you to take action to solve the problem. The main antidote to anxiety is control. Once you control the situation or control yourself to solve the problem, stress chemicals drop, the sensation of anxiety drops. The problem is when you're trapped by anything, you say all of a sudden you have a stress response, your body chemicals are elevated, but you can't solve the problem. Your body kicks in more stress chemicals and you become angry. What happens, anger is, so you've lost control and you can't solve it. Your body secretes more stress chemicals in an effort to regain control. And what happens with thoughts, of course, is the more you try to control your thoughts, the worse they get. So you're trapped. But whether you're trapped by school and a bully or your parents or finances or a job, whatever it is, or chronic pain or anxiety, whenever you're trapped by anything, your body secretes more stress chemicals in an effort to escape. Again, the problem with human consciousness is that everybody's exposed to this and we try to treat this primarily psychologically. Again, it does have a role. It's not going to not going to be solved. If you look at a society today, I mean, medicine simply missed this. If you look at a society, we're very anxious. Anxiety amongst teens has gone up something like 800% over the last 10 years. Um, by the way, bipolar, depression, all those other mental health diagnoses are driven by anxiety. Because you do all these behaviors to try to escape that feeling. Medicine's missed it. We're trying to still treat this massive neurochemical reflex psychologically, and it just can't be done. So then look at society right now, you have all this anger, reactive behavior, and what's driving it is this unsolved anxiety. And then the pain in the physical body manifests into the- So then what happens is there's another stage in the sequence. So visualize yourself, okay, I, I feel anxious. And all, you, all that is is a feedback that says, okay, my body's now full of stress chemicals. Now, at that point, you gotta figure out, okay, what input is now creating this anxiety? What's usually thoughts, could be a physical threat, could be a boss yelling at you, whatever, but he isn't physically threatening you, but obviously mentally is. You get this chemical reaction and have sustained anxiety. So what happens with this teenage group is that if you have unmet expectations, in other words, you have these high things of be, be all that you can be, or you're seeing other people on Facebook or whatever, having all these incredible experiences that you're missing out on, and is that, you know, the FOMO syndrome, fear of missing out, is that these expectations that are being pushed by parents, pushed by society are, that are unmeetable, you're trapped. You can't meet them. And then on top of the anxiety, so you talk to a counselor, try to solve the anxiety. Well, the bottom line is it's not very hard actually to decrease the stress chemicals, which we'll talk about in the second half of the show. So the problem is, is that when you're fully stressed chemicals, each organ in your body gets affected in a different way. For instance, the adrenaline cortisol will decrease the blood supply to the frontal lobe of the brain. You get tension headaches and migraine headaches. It changes the blood supply to the gut and the bladder. So you get irritable bowel, spastic bladder. It doubles the nerve conduction. You have increased pain, burning sensations all over your body. 
It changes the histamines. There's all sorts of skin rashes pop up. There's over 30 physical symptoms that are a result of the sustained chemical assault. That's why your mental input translates into changes in the body chemistry, which translates into physical symptoms. Again, what medicine's doing, instead of going after the root cause of the stress chemicals being elevated, they're randomly treating symptoms. It can't work and it doesn't work. But it's hard to even think about anything when you're so angry anyways. Part of the problem is that the one, the probably the only block to solving the problem is anger. And one of the symptoms of this adrenalized nervous system are, we call them obsessive thought patterns. For instance, eating disorders are one of the problems we get into. But also something like the doctor is missing something, I'm too fat, I'm too skinny, I'm not good enough, et cetera, et cetera. What happens if you think a thought long enough, it starts becoming its own circuit. You've heard the term phantom limb pain? Yes. Where people have their legs or arms amputated. Over, yeah, not only do they feel the limb, but they feel the same pain they had before the amputation. The problem is they can't touch it. It drives them crazy. They can't distract themselves. It's the same thing in the brain with these thought patterns. I call it phantom brain pain. You get these irrational spinning thought patterns, which are exacerbated. Again, anger is just a symptom also. So you have these really high levels of stress chemicals. Your brain starts spinning away. There are these irrational circuits that get programmed in and in and in and in. Just like phantom limb pain, I call it phantom brain pain. And you will know that if you have a body image disorder, what's the end point for that? I mean, I mean, counseling really doesn't work for body image disorders, right? The other term I use for it is selective psychosis because, again, they're survival patterns. They're irrational. They're obsessive thought patterns. And we all know the power of brainwashing. But what happens is you get brainwashed by our own environment. Or you get brainwashed by these expectations. You know, I got B's instead of A's. Well, that means I'm not good enough. Well, that thought, that thought pattern becomes embedded. Then you have the sustained chemical response. Of course, you feel anxious. Then we look at the opioid epidemic, which I think is driven by anxiety slash anger. And when I talk to my patients about their pain in the arm or the leg versus their anxiety, it's the mental pain that's a problem. They can't deal with the anxiety. I say, look, if I give you your leg pain or your arm pain with surgery, which often I can, but you had to live with the same anxiety you're having now, but will get worse over time, what, what are you going to choose? Literally, they, their eyes open wide open. They grab in their arm and leg and they go, well, by getting rid of my arm pain or my leg pain, isn't that going to solve my anxiety? And I go, no, it's a different issue. And invariably, 90% of people say, I want to get rid of my anxiety. When I went through my own chronic pain process, of these 30 symptoms for 15 years, I had 17 of them. And it was relentless. And the worst one of them by far and away was the anxiety. The second symptom that was just brutal was social isolation. It turns out that when people are socially isolated, emotional, uh, social isolation is actually felt in the same part of the brain as physical pain. We develop the same symptoms as chronic physical pain. And again, it's, it's a huge problem. So people in chronic pain get socially isolated. Kids in school, of course, that are bullied, et cetera, become socially isolated. And again, that translates into stress chemicals and physical symptoms. What I find very disturbing, let's go back to the topic about how the antidote to anxiety is control. When you lose control, you buy occasion more stress chemicals to, in an effort to, gain, to regain control. The more power you have, the more control you have, right? There's a study that I think that you and know, I talked about where they looked at a group of school children who had been bullied. They drew a, a, a blood test called C-reactive protein, which is a marker of inflammation. 
elevated markers of inflammation are a big problem because they pretend heart disease and all sorts of other autoimmune disorders. The kids who were bullied had uniformly elevated levels of these C-reactive protein compared to normal. The bullies had less, they had lower inflammatory markers. In other words, there is a physiological reward for being a bully because we get more power, more control, less stress chemicals, less inflammation. And then we go to school with our self-esteem being dependent on other people's approval. But if, if I'm your classmate, it gives you more self-esteem to withhold approval from me. And it gives me more self-esteem to hold approval of you. What we call socialization in our school system is really just a power struggle. We're all trying to deal with anxiety, which is increasing when we go to school. We're all looking for each other's approval. The only way logically you can survive that is sort of fold or develop more power or stay low profile. But really the way we're training our brains in, in grade school, middle school onward is just brutal as far as the way their brain develops. I agree. They're not even looking at the brain, how it functions and how it affects the body. Right. People who are very angry, they almost lose sense of compassion and empathy. Is there something chemically reactive in the brain that does that? Yeah. What happens when your stress chemicals are really elevated is about purely about survival. And you, you have no concern or compassion for anybody around you. Anger is only destructive, right? It's, it's only about your survival and you could lose complete awareness and compassion for everything and everybody around you. And again, we have sustained anxiety, then you have sustained anger. And Dr. Sarno wrote a book, Mind Over Back Pain. Yep, I read it. I love it. And yeah, when people were trapped by their pain, he called it rage. You might remember that word. And then let's say you're in a school system. I actually wrote a website post called School or Prison, What's the Difference? You're being asked to go to an institution where often treated badly. It's really not physically possible to put controls in place to actually solve bullying. In fact, the more you play into the bullies, the worse it gets. And so you're stuck every day in a situation that's incredibly unpleasant. Obviously, lots of, lots of it can be pleasant. But if you're the person who's being bullied, I have many patients who have been bullied as kids, and they're just destroyed. They don't recover from that very well. Even if these kids are, were not physically harmed, just verbally, it still is very, very damaging. Well, it's the same thing. It's actually the same circuit, same chemical response. And at least the physical stuff is over and done. But the mental, emotional stuff can go on for years. It's really damaging. And you're not just in school. You see families, broken homes where parents are yelling at the kids and putting them down and they think, I'm not hitting them or something. I'm, right. They don't realize words are so powerful. Right. Absolutely. Why are our children such strong triggers? Why are we so critical on them? Well, it really hit me about six months ago. My son now has two granddaughters. I have two granddaughters. I'm about two and six months old. You know, look at parents with these babies. They're beautiful babies. You love them. You do anything for them. And then 10 years later, you're yelling and screaming at each other. And people in chronic pain are angry and upset anyway. They really take it out on their family. Why would you treat your kid worse than you would treat a stranger? It doesn't make any sense, right? But what happens for all of us, we have our behavioral patterns programmed into our nervous system by our parents, mother, father, and or both. And then when we come into our new family, those triggers play out in the new family. We'll talk about this in the second episode of this, but basically when you're raising your children, you can say whatever you want to say, but they're imitating the behavioral patterns. And so what happens is triggers are playing out between you and your spouse or partner, and those kids are watching those and adopting the same patterns, then their behaviors actually trigger you. In other words, you're programming your own triggers. 
And when I say trigger, again, it just means something in the present reminded you of something in the past. So actually what you're training your kid to do is something that your mother or father did that really pissed you off because it's not logical for you to yell at your kid. You should never, you should never yell at your kid, period. And, and that's not just in volume. A lot of times people think that, oh, I didn't, they think yelling is volume. It could be tone. Right. Your body language can be very, very powerful too. Right. Yeah. I think Ekta Hart totally talked about this pain bodies where, you know, they're, they're bringing up old wounds that you can heal from. Right. Well, that's a little bit of a debate. From the neuroscience perspective, you can't heal those wounds. They're permanent wounds. And what you're doing, you're creating detours around them. In other words, if you try to heal or fix the wounds, your attention's on the wounds. From a neuroplasticity standpoint, you actually want your brain to develop in a different direction. One, one metaphor I think we talked about, which is really powerful, remember you decrease anxiety by decreasing the stress chemicals directly through mindfulness meditation, but you also decrease your activity in the nervous system, is similar to learning a new language. If you want to learn French, you'll take the classes, do the repetitions. Say in five years, you can speak fluent French, something happened to your brain. New cells, new connection. Your brain now can speak French. You didn't learn French by trying not to speak English. Just by not speaking English, French doesn't arise, right? And so what you're doing with your brain is the same thing. If, if you're, the survival language is pain and survival. If you're trying to fix or solve chronic pain, your attention's on the pain, just like your attention would be on English if you're trying not to speak English. What you're doing, you're creating a new nervous system within your brain. It's like the virtual desktop on a computer. I call the new language an enjoyable life, which is not the default language. But you create a vision of what you want your life to look like, and then you repetitively execute what that's going to look like. What you're do, doing is starting to execute that vision. Your brain develops a different direction. If you're trying to fix your pain, you're actually reinforcing the pathways badly. You must have put your hand right into a hornet's nest. And what you're doing, again, with neuroplasticity, is awareness, separation, redirecting. And what you're doing, you have to be, allow yourself to feel the pain, feel the anxiety, feel the anger, not try to suppress it, and then you redirect. That starts changing the actual physical structure of your brain. Good point. I, I like that analogy. So we are out of time for this episode. We're going to see you back for the next episode, and we're going to continue with this part too. And listeners, tune back in. Thank you very much. I enjoyed this. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Go to parentpumpradio.com and click on the pink box on the top of our homepage to listen to our new and archived shows. To be instantly notified of new episodes, subscribe to our RSS feed. The RSS feed button is located at the top of the page where all our shows are featured. And after listening to the show, go to parentpumpradio.com or our Facebook page to leave your comments, questions, and topic suggestions. Until next time, have a wonderful week.